My name is Ryan Desjardins and I'm the middle school pastor here at Bridgeway in this healthy house and I'm coming up towards the end on my first year and church I need I need to yep it is just the very beginning but I need to I need to let you know I'm fired up I'm fired up by what God's doing here in this house we just had your students both high school and middle school we were at Hume Hume Lake a week ago for summer camp, and I was blown out uh, when a bunch of our young people, they woke up in a powerful way. We had 26 middle schoolers choose to make their faith public and be baptized um, in front of everybody, and another... And another group of high school right at the same number, so over 50 of our preteen and teenagers went up to Hume and it was 100% worth the investment. Amen? It was powerful. But because I spend so much time down, down in the basement and the furnace as I like to call it because they're getting all fired up down there. I, because it's the time, I don't feel like many of our church really have gotten to know me yet. So I want to introduce myself a little bit. Like I said, my name's Ryan. I've gotten the humble honor of doing youth ministry for um, a long time. I was at a church for a long time before in the Sacramento area as the youth pastor. And then I was at William Jessup University, which me and my bride are both um, alumni of. I was at William Jessup University doing church relations and outreach and guest speaking and a ton of youth groups, camps, conferences, all that sort of stuff, representing Jessup and getting to preach the gospel in that incredible way. But then God was stirring in me. Um, He didn't want me to just bring the word of God anymore and then dip to the next event. I knew I was called to disciple the youth generation so it can propel them for the rest of their life. So I'm here. A church I've been friends with for a really long time, and I'm excited to be here. I'm married. I have an incredible wife named Angie, um, Angela. That's, yep, and that's absolutely true um, as far as her being my better half. She is, I call her wife on the water because she has a faith that is not shaken. Amen? Um, any men in the house would say amen like your wife. She's got a faith that does not go astray. Amen. So that's my wife. And we have two little boys. Our youngest is Declan. I know. I did this only for the awe. Um, you're welcome. Anyways, I'm just kidding. But that's baby Declan. He is sweet, but he's tricking you with the sweetness because I call him Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Declan. And uh, because he's sweet like that. And then the next moment he's standing on the toy table toy table and just going ah and throwing stuff on the ground and then smiling at us like wanting to destroy stuff again so then we have our little boy named micah i know right so i know i'm biased but i've had outside sources say it's an awe for sure so no that's our little boy micah he is three years old and he had his first kids camp a couple of weeks ago as well with kids way and went nuts. He did not want to come home the entire t- time. But I think it's an honor. And I want to thank Pastor Lance and our team for allowing me to speak specifically on the book of Micah. Because I want to give some context to why I gave my son an, the name of a prophet who always just talked about divine judgment. 
why I gave him that name, why I gave him that powerful name and boldness. But no, I'm excited that I get to bring and get to dive into Micah 6 with you today. So if you want to open up um, the Bibles in front of you, we are going to be on page 779, 779 as we're jumping in. So we've been in the series on Micah and God's people needed to be woke up, right? They need to be woke up because they had been distracted and turned to lots of different things in their culture. Lots of different things had gotten a hold of them and a wickedness had started to take control. So I get the honor and the privilege of sharing a moment that is literally a prophetic vision that Micah gets that's their trial. It's their trial against God. It's their, it's their trial against their creator, their king. Because he has something to say about the way they were living just like he does today when we get distracted by the lifestyles we run into here and today. He has something to say to them. We're going to start in Micah 6, 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. I don't know about you, that's, but that's quite the introduction. I would, I'd be a little bit intimidated as God's people that this is what the prophet is saying is about to happen in this place. This trial where God has something to say about their lifestyle. We have been in the book of Micah thus far as we've studied in and we have seen that God's, we have seen what God's people have been doing, what Micah had to say to the Lord in response, and what is to come in the future. The scene is being set for this trial. Let's go into Micah 6, 3 through 5. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. (laughs) And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered to him? And what happened from Shetion? That one's a little rough. To Gilgal, and you made and you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. We see the Father's heart. We see the freedom that He offered God's people, the freedom that through Jesus is still available today. We see the freedom, the good, the Father who gives good gifts. My Micah loves gifts, and He expects them whenever I come home from being gone. Any teenager parents in the house like they still do? Anyways, so anyway, every time I come, he's all present. I'm like, I'm here. 
that, that, that's the present. But God was the ultimate gift giver. But they got distracted. Pastor Brian Kiley shared something that I saw rampant in our study in the text and in Israel while we were there in locations. I got to go to Israel with a team, which I see some of our the teammates up here and all of that. We had an incredible journey in the land of Israel and it was strikingly familiar to some of the things we face today. Some of the things going on in our lives, but... We don't realize they're happening. But Pastor Brian said something that stood out to me that there were in God's people, which I believe are also true of today, that for God's people, there were wars against the freedom God had intended for them. There were wars against their freedom that God intended for them and intended for us today. There were wars. There were things coming against what God's plan was. We saw this when we went to Israel, um, the land of milk and honey. It was incredible. I spent a long time preaching stories like David slaying Goliath and getting to stand in that valley was shaking, to say the least. All these incredible places, but something happened over and over again to God's chosen children. Over and over again. And we see it happening today as well to God's people. You see, because in the land of milk and honey, people forget where their freedom came from. Amen. In the land of milk and honey, people forget where that freedom came from. We watch God's people over and over again start to get distracted. And we have stuff in our lives that are distracting all the time. Everything is loud. Your middle school students tell me, oh, I have no time in my schedule. There's so much going on. I'm busy and, you know, all that stuff. And they're middle schoolers. We have a ton of noise. A ton of chaos. And if we're not careful, we get distracted by it just like God's people did over and over and over again. Because when they would go into different cultures, when they would go into these places and culture would start to intertwine With them, they started to get distracted, which led to confusion, which leads to compromise. God's people over and over again, and I don't think it's any different than what we see today. And God's people were going on trial in this moment as they were mixing their culture with their religious practices And God uses the term wickedness. Something happened in the distraction, in the confusion. And it's something I think we need to be careful of and stand against today. Because it's something that happens easily. One of the examples that was powerful, I got to go to Israel with my parents, which was fun. Because my dad and I have the same sense of humor. It's dull. But we both know how funny we are. We just think everyone else is missing this gifting we've been given. So anyways, we go into, so part of Israel, part of the demise and part of the thing that happened to them in their culture when they started to get distracted, distracted is Rome comes into town, right? 
The Romans come into town and the Roman culture, the Roman Empire looked strikingly similar to another culture that I think we have experience with. They're based on two things. Two things the Roman culture was based on. Wealth and entertainment. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. So think about it. God's chosen people start to mix in these cultures and start to mix in these things going on. We went to a place called Skipatopolis, which was right near where these incredible, incredible biblical narratives happen. This Roman, ruins of a Roman city, Skipatopolis. And our guide takes us through and we're seeing where the marketplace, and then he takes us into the gym. And the gym was a place where the men would go to work out. There were masseuses there and there was all this stuff going on. They'd work out and their goal being in the gym was to get in shape and define their bodies to look like their mythical god Zeus. And my dad, he kind of... Like, like lifetime fitness... And I was like, dad, stop. But in the inside, I'm like, dang. Because here's the deal. Is that not what happens in our culture, even though it's a good thing to get in shape? I'm doing it right now because of medical stuff that I face in my life and everything. Uh, But is it not something our culture does to see people on e-entertainment or see people in magazines and stuff like that and have this obsession with looking like someone else because we're not pleased with what we're bringing to the party? Uh Uh-oh. Here's the thing. We have to be careful because we live in a culture that makes even good things into ultimate things. So God's people are dealing with these distractions going on all around them. And then Micah, in Micah 6 and 7, starts to sound a little bit like a teenager who's getting in trouble, like I did all growing up, pleading ignorance. Let's read together. Micah 6, 6 through 7. With, with what shall I come before you, Lord? He's sharing what their case might be. The people of God. What shall I come before you, Lord? And bow myself before you, before God on high. Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with cal- with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand, with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? God, God's children were asking, what should we do? What do you want from us? And I think they may look a little bit like, if we're not careful what we look like in an American culture, and in a cultural narrative specifically here in Sacramento and Roseville, all of that, where everything's based on success, achievement, all of that stuff. So we kind of are knocking it off the list. We're, we're, we're going to church. I'm going to church. I'm giving in offerings and the offerings are doing to other places around the world. We're, we're building these kind of things and we're watching God's people saying, what do you want? Do you want more? Do you want more stuff? When will it ever be enough for you? Or what are you really looking for, God? 
You see, they were doing something. It was all about performance and practices. Religious practices they thought was going to be to win God's heart. But the only thing that wins God's heart is His children's heart. Amen? The only thing that wins God's heart is His children's heart. That wasn't in the notes. That's kind of tweetable. Um, Just kidding. But here's the deal. We do the same thing today. Where we're building, if we're not careful, we're building this checklist of our Christianity in our culture that makes us kind of do this, I'm doing good. I'm doing the right things. I'm getting super... And some of us are intense like I am. And you're like, I haven't missed... I'm, I don't miss any services. I'm involved in small groups. And some of the men are like, in the room are like, yeah, I, I go to church on Super Bowl Sunday and Father's Day. And some men in the house are like, yo. All right. But check this out. We come up with these lists because if we're truthful, many of us are trying to earn God's love with our actions. We're trying to earn His love. We're trying to achieve and be successful as a child of God. And we get caught in the process. So so what's pleasing to the Lord? So what's pleasing to the Lord? They're doing these practices and mixing themselves with culture and mixing themselves with wicked things and breaking God's law because we know the Old Testament that this is taking part in is founded the covenant is founded in god's law right it's found in god's law but we also saw last week with pastor brian kiley that micah also brought a prophecy about the coming of the messiah so the scene continues to get set so what is pleasing to the lord how do we really please the lord today Because I don't think it's founded in just our practices and our procedures. It's founded in something else. Micah 6.8. And this is the the scripture that struck me. And I wanted to potentially name my son. Give him the name because of this scripture. This is what he's saying the Lord is requiring from his children. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Church, God's not looking for our religious practices. He's not looking simply for our services and our events and all of that stuff. God's not interested in your Christian resume. He's interested in you. We are children of the King. We are children of God. And I promise you this, and I'm not trying to make me some sovereign, you know, anything like that. But fathers and mothers in the house know your, your children can't earn your love. It, 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 it is. But because of our cultural narrative and the distractions in our lives, we get confused just like God's people do about thinking if we do religious practices and things like that, then we know our God. 
we know our Father. So what, is it, what does it look like? What does it really look like today to live as a child of God? To live in these areas and make it more than just a checklist item. I, you know, I got my church in, I got my worship in, I got all that stuff in. What does it look like to live this out? We have to ask ourselves, do we do justly? Like really justly. Not just for the people we protect and we love, but are we doing justly for the hurting in our culture? Do we love kindly? Or if we're not careful, we're loving if we get something out of the equation. And do we walk humbly? The question is, is this. And what it points back to. Do we worship God? Because here's the truth about worship that I think if we're not careful, we're putting as another opportunity or another option on our Christian resume. Worship is not simply a song set. It's a posture. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not a song set. We put it into this box and we've done very well with the box here. But worship musically in this place should be a celebration and a proclamation of what the rest of our life looks like. We have to ask ourselves, do we look like worshipers of God? I heard this this theologian, pastor, and author. I read one of his books where he was taught. It was called Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. And he talked about the fact that everyone worships. Everyone worships. Atheists worship. Because worship is a lifestyle. It's founded in where you find your identity, what you do, what you're about, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, all of that stuff. And if we're not careful, our God is getting the leftovers. (laughs) We're going to Him when things aren't going well instead of going to Him with everything. We have to be careful. That we're not trying to fit God into where we think He can fit in our lives. In that place, our worship is not a song set. We see what God's sentencing is of His people who had turned to wicked wickedness in Micah 6, 9-16. through 16. This prophetic word from the Lord, it's... It's hard to hear, it's hard to read, but we're going to bust through it together. Micah 6, 9, let's go together. The voice of the Lord cries out to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of whom who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the scant measure that is accursed. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. And their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow making you desolate because of your sins. 
you shall eat, but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall swallow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statues of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels. And I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. (laughs) That's rough. That's a rough sentence for God's people who had got let distraction get the best of them, who allowed culture to be what was defining them, to allow their worship and identities to go to something besides being a child of the king. But sitting in this room today, we have good news for us. We have good news. And good news for people of all time. And we have a part to play so the lost, the hurting, the those who have been unjustly to, those who have lacked kindness, we have a part to play because church, Jesus paid for our guilty sentence. Jesus paid it. He paid it and He didn't deserve it and we did and He said, nope, not on my watch, they're mine. But I need their worship. I need their posture, their lifestyle to look like a child of God instead of it being just a part of the equation. We have to make sure, we have to ask ourselves in this room today, what are our current distractions? What are we really distracted by? What's getting too much of us? What's getting too much of our focus, our attention, our passion, our purpose? Even good things were never meant to be the ultimate thing. Amen? The current compromises. What are the things that maybe we came here maybe we came here because we needed some hope by the decisions we've made this week. The stuff going on in our home lives. The compromises. What is? We have to ask what our current posture is. Because there's two options and only two. A child of the king and a child of idols. I'll say it again. A child of the king or a child of idols. Because we still have idols today like they did in biblical times. They just look different. Maybe they look like the iPhone I left back there. Maybe they look like the... The mortgage on our house or getting into a bigger place or it looks like a promotion at work. It looks like all these things that we are letting consume us and only one can fill that void. And he has a name. You see your handout, the fill in the blank just goes like this. Jesus desires authentic worship. He's desiring... I'm sorry. He's not desiring 
He doesn't have a job description for you. He wants your life. (laughs) It's not a 40-hour work week. It's a a life consumed because our God is a better storyteller than we are. Amen? He's a better storyteller. So something happens when we actually step into the freedom that was intended for us in the first place. And it comes from always only finding our identity in being a child of the King. I learned this. <laughs> I learned this from a humbling place. I learned this from my son Micah. I, I had been a pastor for a long time. I mean, running after it and seeing all these incredible events and conferences that we were a part of and all of that. But Micah taught me something with his posture. He taught, he taught me something special. Something different that I think was the most humbling. I had a friend who I've done ministry with for a long time. One of my greatest friends in ministry. He now is the lead of a purity ministry running after young people all over the world and helping them find their true sexual identity, their true identity as a child of God, helping them find what purity looks like in a culture that's obsessed with teaching them the opposite. And they're going around the world with this thing. But he told me something. When I, when I, when Angie was first pregnant with Micah, he said, Ryan, the Lord is going to open up new sermon illustrations like you would never imagine. And I was like, I think I'm pretty good with the sermon illustrations. I've been doing it for a long time, Cole. (laughs) And he goes, trust me, Ryan. He's going to do something with it. And I'll never forget the moment because it shook me. Not kidding. As a man, it shook me. I can't, I was coming home from work when he was younger and he still does it to this day. I was coming home um, from work at Jessup at the time and all of that. And when I get home, he would do this little dance move. I'm like, you dance like me so you know where our heritage lies. So he would do this little dance move. And then he'd say something that I think our culture needs to see more of us doing. Both arms shot right into the air and he said, Daddy up. He says, Daddy up. With both arms lifted in the air. And I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'll tell you this. My wife is their favorite. Both of them. And I'm competitive, so that doesn't work for my humility. So the first time, I'll never forget the first time he did it. Daddy up, and I was like, it wasn't going to be up anymore because I was like melting. Right? I, I was just melting in this moment, but check this out. I think my son taught me something that as a man of God, I need to have a posture of daddy up. I need your strength instead of my own strength. We need, we are in a culture of achieving and success and all this stuff where we have to prove ourselves. And our God says, you have to prove nothing. You're mine. You're mine. And that's why in Micah 6, 8, it says to walk humbly with your God. We have to ask ourselves, are we walking with him or just showing up on Sundays to experience him a little bit? What would a posture of daddy up look like? And some of the men are actually like, I'm not going to say daddy up. 
Maybe you need to to experience freedom. Anyways, all right. But amen. So, but here's the deal. We need to understand that we are created to be a people who conquer from a place of surrender. Amen? That, and that happens when we rely on His strength instead of our own in a culture just like theirs that got confused by the wrong things. What does it look like to be a child of God? Maybe you need freedom from proving yourself to your loved ones. Maybe you need it this obsession you have inside yourself to prove yourself to your spouse. Daddy up. I need your strength, God. Not my own. We're going to go back into um, this song together and we're going to do end a little differently tonight. We're going to end a little differently. We're going to end in this way. Like I talked about that author and speaker and a man a couple times. He says he, he said he quits things on Thursday. Because there's some stuff that needs to get way less of us. Amen? Some focuses, some identities, all of that. We're going to go in time of worship and I'm going to, I'm going to dare you to challenge the posture that you walked into this room with. For some in this room, it might be time to wake up. Like we just saw a bunch of preteens do at Hume Lake this weekend. When during worship on Thursday night, which is the big decision night, this young lady was, this young preteen was crying in a, ta- in a chair. And crying wasn't a rarity necessarily. But she's crying and she's starting to laugh. She begins to laugh. And one of our our leaders told us that she said, "I, I finally know what he did. Church, many of us need to stop thinking we need to prove ourselves because we live in a culture that's obsessed with it. It's time for a change of posture. And for some in the house, it might be time to say, Daddy, up. We're going to have the prayer team come up as we go into a time of, um, of worship. And then I'll come back up to close at the end. We're going to go into a time of worship. And I just want to encourage you, if you have stuff in your life that's consuming you that you need freedom from. Maybe it's the mind monsters of fear. Maybe it's a posture that looks a little bit like, God, you can be a piece of my puzzle, but not the picture that my puzzle is making. Maybe you need freedom from a posture that doesn't look like a child of God. Maybe you just need freedom. We're going to praise our King. We're going to praise the Jesus who died on a cross to pay the punishment that we all deserved. And he said, not on my watch. They're mine. We are set free. We should start living like what he says about us. Freedom is possible. Freedom is what we were created for. But for many of us, 
It takes a boldness to stop relying on our strength in a culture that's obsessed with achievement. He looks at you and says, mine. So what would it look like if we were a people who lived in a way who looked like children of God? Not just on Sundays, not just... when we're trying to prove it? What would it look like if we lived set free? This culture needs it, amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we just say yes and amen. We love you. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for freedom undeserved love we want to be a culture that says daddy up that says we want you God we need your strength we want your story we want your calling we want your identity in our lives because what we come up with on our own doesn't work we want you Father we believe you're saying here I am Jesus, we love you, we trust you, and we say, have your way. Have your way, Heavenly Father. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Church, it was fun to get to be with you. You guys have a good Saturday.